0: This tea is weak. Is this tea weak? All right, Cinemonsters, welcome back to part two of our drive-in double feature of the Hauntsville Cryptcast. cast. We've talked at length about Pet Cemetery, both the original and the 2019 remake, and now it's time to talk about us. The film. No, this is our most narcissistic (laughs) podcast yet. I just want to talk about me and you and Anna, and it's going to be great.
1: Well, that's how I feel all the time. I have a a terrible mentality of like, anytime I'm with friends, I'm like, here's what I'm doing. And I always forget to ask, oh, but what about you? (laughs) And I figured might as well bring that into the podcast world. But uh, no, we're talking about uh, Jordan Peele's Us. So we all saw this together and
0: separately, which is how <laughs> we see most films. Um, Us came out here in the U.S. first. So I get, what did we go? Opening
1: night? We no, we went uh, like opening I think weekend. we did. Was that opening night? Yeah. Because
2: yeah, you did go opening night.
1: Well, then I guess I didn't appreciate it as much as I I thought of my movie-going
0: experience. So Doza and I saw us opening night, and um, Anna, I I don't think, was even prepared for us to come out in the UK. No. So when I went over to visit, we did have a chance to see us uh, in the same week that we saw Pet Cemetery.
2: Yeah, I was very happy that it actually came out over here because I wasn't sure if it was actually going to. Um, But I suppose as it's like a a mainstream kind of film because of Get Out, then I suppose that's probably why it came out here. Yeah,
1: I, I feel like a lot of its uh, box office success it isn't due to Get Out, but it definitely helped it along the way, and it really kind of brought it into the realm of popularity where people are now paying attention to not only, you know, horror as a genre, but Jordan Peele as, a, you know, a, a director and a writer And so they just wanted to see, like, oh, what's this one going to be like? And so I got an opportunity to talk to people that I would never normally discuss horror movies with uh, about us and get their take on it, which is super interesting. Because I usually talk to to you guys and uh, all my other friends and people in the horror community. And it's one of the first opportunities I've had in a long time to get, like, an outsider's quote-unquote take on a a horror film which was like absolutely wonderful
0: yeah i'm definitely loving seeing the success across the board and like kind of between genres that us is bridging um i I also as much as the get out academy awards debacle enrages me to no end (laughs) i think there's no such thing as bad publicity so for that to have happened the way that it did Uh, I think that put a lot of spotlight on us coming out to the point where I think I may have mentioned this in part one, but when us came out, Jordan Peele tweeted us is a horror film. So there's no discrepancy. It's not a comedy. It's not a drama. Uh And I think for for that attention to draw in so many typically unwilling eyes to watch horror into his filmmaking definitely bridge that gap for us between the mainstream and uh the kind of niche market that horror presents yeah,
1: it's the thing that like regular moviegoers are now going out and seeing rather than just like the cretins that we are <laughs> looking for our midnight screenings and, and special screenings it's it's it was just a it's... really
2: big mix of opinions though
1: oh, oh yeah like, yeah i think even just I, I think that's really interesting
2: us. though because so many people are coming back from watching it and being annoyed that they don't understand. And so they're going and researching it and trying to get other people's opinions and it's actually creating this huge discussion which okay, people don't usually have.
1: Larger than the movie itself, which I, I think that's the makings of a good movie if it sparks discussion. Like Absolutely. which is what I think his uh his, being Jordan Peel, uh, his his intent was. And this is where he really excels, like starting the conversation about you know, topics and issues beyond the scope of what he put up there.
0: Oh, absolutely. And Get Out was a shining achievement in that um, where there are these sociopolitical horrors. It's honestly one of the biggest reasons after seeing Get Out and Us that I'm very excited about Jordan Peele's involvement in The Twilight Zone.
1: Oh, yes. Oh, my God.
0: I think if there's anybody to bring sociopolitical horror into the limelight, he has been the best director to do that in recent years.
2: He also has like so much respect for the genre because and especially for Twilight Zone, you can tell that he he obviously loved it growing up or just like has some sort of affinity with it. Um because I mean us was based on a Twilight Zone episode, Mirror Image. So obviously he was leading up to him creating these new episodes of Twilight Zone. And you can just tell by the way that he presents in Twilight Zone that he just, like, he loves it and he's researched it and he knows what he's doing.
1: It definitely comes off as, like, a passion project. And I think the the Twilight Zone series is really where uh, it, it plays to his strengths. Like, uh, us and Get Out, while I, I did enjoy them, uh, I find it better, I guess his talent's better suited for the, the Twilight Zone kind of-esque, where it's, like, um, a message with a twist and that I really was like what twilight zone is at the heart of words what am I trying to say um I mean twilight zone's very
0: essence is having a message about the world we live yeah in. It it's, it's social has commentary been. yeah Which, I mean that was Rod Sterling's initial intention yeah. with the twilight zone who's tired of sugar-coated tv series and not seeing the respect for Things like science fiction. And I mean, while Twilight Zone was his labor of love, it's great to see somebody who cares as much about that and where everything came from and bringing these issues to light as Jordan Peele. That was another even just like his respect for the horror genre is very evident throughout little remarks that characters make throughout his films like Get Out and Us. And in Us, we see that so. Straightforward. Right down to in one of the opening shots, there is a DVD of, uh, not a DVD, a VHS, because it is the 70s, 80s? 80s? It's 86. 86. Um, Three years
1: before Anna was born. <laughs>
0: um, so there's a DVD. Oh my God, stop me. It's not a DVD. So there's it's a Blu ray copy of no, stop it.
2: <laughs>
0: there is a VHS of Chud. Chud. Uh, next to the TV in one of the opening shots of Us. And that's like a nice little nod for Us. But uh, I think, Anna, you were the one who figured out why that was there, right?
2: Uh, he used to date the daughter of the guy who made Chud. Oh. Um, and I think that's, that's how he initially got into the genre.
0: I love little tidbits like that. That's like, super
1: interesting. <laughs> I, I had no idea. I thought it was because the plots are the same. They are, and
2: that, <laughs> I, well, I think that was a big inspiration to me. <laughs> um, I mean, there, there's so many little tiny nods throughout everything he's done so far to sort of old-school horror and old-school sci-fi that I just really appreciate.
0: Even back to Key and Peele, like there are a lot of horror nods, his gremlin sketch, um, the... <laughs> two guys go to a horror movie one it's very clear that this is a man who has been involved in the genre as as much as any other horror fan has been and he recognizes the merits of this as a filmmaking style and most specifically where a lot of horror films fall short the impact that horror can have I think that's the most important things to keep in mind when discussing things like us and get out and the twilight zone. And um, as I'm looking forward to now uh, him to take on *Candyman* as a remake.
2: I'm re- I, I'm still very scared about the fact that candy man's being remade as I am every time that my favorite film is a remade, but candy man is like, for me, one of the best films of that time. Like, I don't think
0: we were ready for Candyman when we got it.
2: No, we weren't. But we also weren't ready for Night of the Living Dead when we got it. We weren't ready for anything <laughs> of like of that no, but, like, time.
0: Night of the Living Dead made its impact. I think Candyman has fallen under the radar because it's so yeah. underappreciated it's as a film.
2: It's completely underappreciated. I mean, it it's absolutely perfect to me, and the social commentary is incredible, especially for that time. Um but having said that, like if anyone's gonna take on that, then Jordan peele I do trust with it because he's shown not only respect for horror, but also an amazing ability to portray social commentary through film in the right way.
0: And for a film that relies so heavily on symbolism and artistic expression as Candyman, the way that Jordan Peele has tackled his use of symbolism especially more so in Us than in uh, Get Out, Uh, I think that's going to make Candyman's storyline that much stronger. And I think while the time period that Candyman originally came out in was not the political climate for it, (laughs) I think now in 2019, it'll be released in 2020. Um, The way things are going right now, the Candyman's backstory and... The impact of his story and the reasons behind his killings are gonna have that much more of an effect because they're relevant again.
2: That's true, and I trust I trust Peel to. Well, I hope that he will get Tony Todd involved in even some cameo, way, even just for I a cameo. Even just for a cameo, but I mean, He's I love Tony Todd.
1: Been uh, shown to be open to stuff like that, uh, where he was in the the first two um final destination films and then made uh vocal cameos and some of the other ones and those i i cherish those movies they're so terrible but i always have a lot <laughs> of fun watching them and so for him to take time out of his whatever his retirement is to just do little things like that like i'm sure he'd be happy to you know take part in something that's you know doing honor to his really like big um namesake yeah noteworthy role yeah i mean he still Uh,
2: goes around conventions he interacts with fans he's so proud of that role which is why i want him to be involved because he loves everything to do with that movie still
0: it's people like him and robert england that i love to see in the scene because again they're just as much fans of the genre as they are influencers of the genre. So for the two of them to consistently take on these indie roles, just to see a noteworthy horror film that would otherwise maybe not see the light of day, get a little bit more recognition, I think is amazing. So whereas I don't think Candyman is going to have that problem when it comes out, I would love to see Tony Todd involved just for the sake of, you know, you have the original Candyman at least appearing in Candyman. (laughs) (laughs) but jordan peele has definitely shown an exceptional grasp of what the genre where the genre needs to be moving toward because we're not just watching you know cut and dry slashers anymore it doesn't do it for this day and age it's like back in the 50s when you needed the nuclear monsters to convey what was terrifying about the time you have the you know stranger danger of the 80s which is why the slashers were so big uh and now we need something that's a little bit more impactful and i think that's where us makes a really strong stance um there's a lot of imagery a lot of us is very subtle and i appreciate that it's not a film that really talks down to its audience
1: i don't know about that it
0: does have its moments and they completely (laughs) detract from everything that it worked toward So I do want to talk about those. We do need
2: to address the plot holes a lot.
0: (laughs) Definitely credit where credit is due. But I personally think that Get Out is the superior film when it comes to a filmmaking standpoint, a storyline standpoint. Us has a lot of plot holes and they're not little ones. They make a big difference in the scope of the film.
2: I think for me, Get Out's got... I don't like the story of Get Out as much as I do the story of Us. But if Us hadn't got the plot holes, like everything else that that's actually cohesive in the film is really, really beautiful. And I feel like that makes up for it.
1: No, I get that. I'm definitely, I, I agree with Anna. I prefer the intent uh, of Us and uh, its potential and what it ended up being, though I did enjoy both movies. I. Think I prefer us plot holes and all, and even with my gripes, I, I did enjoy it uh more. I think so. Do you want to start at the top about how? Oh,
0: yes, I wanted to start at the top, even before the film. Us is another film that one of the biggest reasons that it suffers is not because of a plot hole or anything, but because of the trailer.
2: Oh, I didn't see it, so you guys are gonna have to do this one.
1: This destroyed me. So one of the the big, I guess, twists in the film uh, towards the end, where um, they reveal that Red and Adelaide had switched places uh, when they were kids, when she's in the House of Mirrors, is not explicitly shown in the uh, in the trailers, but it's implied because there is a scene from the trailer that isn't in the initial meeting where they have. So in the trailers, they show um, Red grabbing Adelaide by the throat, where in the film itself, it cuts away before that happens. And then in a flashback at the end of the movie to reveal that she has been switched, they show her grabbing her by the throat. And so from that moment, having seen the trailer going through the movie, I was like, oh, they, they switched already. And they're saving up that for a reveal. So for an hour and a half, I was like,
2: "We're right.
0: just along for the ride. We know that what's really coming."
2: Sucks.
0: Yeah. So whereas like Pet Cemetery's, uh error in trailer really just ruined a moment, Us's trailer ruined one of the biggest moments in the film.
1: But I do. I'm. I'm gonna argue against myself now. <laughs> um, play Doze's advocate if you will, where I I watched it a second time and I think knowing from the get-go that she was switched, it it changes the movie a little bit where I think you almost have to know that they have switched to fully appreciate it, I think, because even knowing that, it didn't matter because she's still our protagonist from start to end and... Never was I not on her side.
0: Well, I think to that point, then I think personally that the grand reveal of the switch is entirely meaningless because we don't care that they switched to reveal that at the end. I'm not invested. I don't care that they switched because I still followed our protagonist from start to finish. It it does beg the idea of who is the villain here. But. I, for me it's two separate stories they're each the villain of each other's story yeah so but as, as an audience member that doesn't matter to me because we have a clear-cut protagonist and antagonist
1: and the antagonist um, is uh, american greed
2: well yeah um i mean i didn't watch the trailer so obviously i didn't have that ruined for me but um i, I still didn't care like you said like when, when it was revealed, I wasn't like, Oh, I didn't see that coming, or oh I saw that coming. I literally just went, Okay, it still doesn't make sense. Um it, it didn't change the story for me. It didn't change how I felt towards the characters. It just me- left me going, Well, why why couldn't she get out? Why would why did that mean that she was tethered then? Like if and does that mean that when It made the whole thing completely redundant to me because if they were tethered and they had to do, she had to do everything that she was doing, then why was she able to grab her and change places of her? Like, how did that tether break for her to be able to do that and then just carry on her life being untethered straight away?
0: That brings in the next gigantic plot hole is the free will of the tethered so the mythology behind the tethered is that they are a subterranean species of humans who are clones and counterparts to humans who are living above the surface and they are tethered and bound to do exactly as their above counterparts do we get this whole story about the duality of the lives that our protagonist and antagonist have lived however when the tethered rise to the surface, there's this great big divide in the idea of, well, how are they able to break free from their tethered mentality and kill their counterparts? And then to the the other degree of that point is we see that while the tethered are above, well, above ground, um, they're acting of their own free will. They have very minor moments of, copying their counterparts um, from abraham's copying of gabriel with his glasses which is a very subtle thing and doesn't reflect much on the idea of being tethered but you get something even bigger where uh jason and pluto have this moment toward the end of the film where It seems like Jason understands how the tethered work, even though there's no clear-cut concept of how this tethering works at all because there's a lot of contradictions. But when Jason gets out to convince Pluto to copy his movements and uh, eventually kill himself, it works flawlessly. The two of them are tethered as the tethered lore is meant to be. But this is the only instance where that comes into play. So what is the reason why... Pluto has to do what Jason does in this scenario and this scenario alone. They have many moments with the mask and the match, but they're nothing more than the two of them getting to understand one another.
1: That's what I, I thought was, I think the most interesting was the nature of the, of the tethered. And that's where like most of my speculation comes from where I was talking to people like, what, what are they? What is their relationship with one another? And is it a level of closeness between the two? Because they're described as uh, empty husks, with one containing the soul, the other one just being more or less a, a replica. Um, and is it is the is it a, a tethered nature being like oh pulling on it, and like soul is getting closer to one another, and they're just trying to become one because they're like they uh, jason and pluto spent the time in the closet together and maybe they bonded closer than the others have but it's all speculation it's not laid out for you which no. i love i i because i don't want to know i don't i like I don't the care. subtlety
0: and the ambiguity but there is an element where you do have to care because if they were going to leave it ambiguous fine i would love to sit here and speculate but the fact that they went into detail about how the fact that one is a husk with no soul and the other is a soul, and they are, in fact, a product of cloning, then we need they more than cloning. that. They, if they are the cloning,
2: best- then yeah, it, it, we could speculate all we want. But the fact that they said that they were clones really bothered me because it's like, it doesn't make sense. How do, you, how do you clone everyone? Question,
0: yeah, how do you clone everyone? Who do you decide is cloned? How did this happen in the first place? And. It was the clone of know, every
2: single person in America. Like, you'd think someone would notice that happening.
1: They're in the tunnels, so nobody ever goes down there. That's I don't where
2: know, the chest but like... Live. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> right? That, this I, whole I, movie
1: I... is like these conversations where you're like, yeah, but what if? And then. Ugh. You get frustrated.
2: I I like the commentary. I like the symbolism. Like, I like the commentary of there is, and it's completely true. There is a whole race of people basically that just go completely ignored by society. And they're exactly like us. They just don't have what we have. And it's sort of like the upper class, lower class, like it's still a problem. And so I get, well, that's what I took from what the symbolism of the Tethered was.
0: I mean, yeah, I think you're right on the nose there because the Hands Across America played such a big role in the ideas behind the Tethered's plan. And when you get to the heart of what Hands Across America was and how much it fell apart, it really is that classist struggle. And for the first thing for the Tethered to declare when they're surface bound is, we are Americans that's a a clear cut and dry indication that this is the story we're listening to and it's done in a very subtle and tactful way that I really appreciated and for that to come across the way that it did I really don't think we needed the moments toward the end where we were spoon-fed certain details and realistically details that only made things more questionable than they already were.
2: It was a hereditary moment it was like oh wait our (laughs) audience is dumb let's explain in the last five minutes what we're trying to explain to them here here you go and it doesn't make sense
1: from the jump I I got this vibe that we were gonna get something of that sort because the establishing shot which I thought was beautiful and brilliant where it's slow zoom onto the tv and I'm like okay clearly like and it says, like, in the corner of the news, like, that it's taking place in 1986, or at, it's at least in the mid to late 80s. And I was because like, we cool. have
0: Michael Jackson on TV, Chug next to it, right. and a like, newscast cool. about Hands Got Across it. America. Michael
2: and then, Jackson is a huge theme throughout that film. So I think well, it's supposed I think to be, like, the year that Frella came out or something. Well, and.
1: Uh, just to to finish my thought of like it cuts to the next scene and then it says 1986 santa cruz and i was like yeah i know yeah like you did all that work for, for and then just told me
0: it's it's the work that went into the set detail the design the orchestration of what is playing on tv none of it is meaningless so why spoon
1: feed us right and so the uh the thriller aspect, with the the fixation on her thriller T shirt, the thriller music video ends with Michael Jackson having been revealed to be a monster the whole time. From watching the trailer and seeing that moment, I was like, I I think I, who was I sitting next to? I think it was me. We usually try and sit next I, to each other during these <laughs> things so we can. <laughs> to I, I must have turned next to cast. you and I was like, yo, they got switched. Yeah. And at, from from then on, I was just, I kind of just like sat back and enjoyed the movie and like that was fine. Uh, on further inspection, like watching it the second time, I, I started picking up on other things. And there is a, a running theme, like you guys said, of the division between the classes, but it's also the an element of American consumerism and how false it is, where uh, Kitty is talking about how she wants to get plastic surgery because it'll change the way that she looks. Uh, but she'll, again... Just because you're changing the way that you look, you're still the same person. And then where, God, uh, Gabriel uh, is, is very proud of uh, the boat that he bought, because having a boat is the ultimate symbol of expendable income and status. Like, oh, you know, I have a boat because I can use it just for recreation and relaxation. It serves no other purpose, but... Even though on the surface, it's like, oh, we have a boat. But it's, it's, a, it's a run-down boat. It pulls to the left. It stops randomly. So it's just a boat on the surface. But underneath, it's not the yacht that their neighbors have. And going through and watching uh, all the uh, interactions between the characters and their tethered, they use very uh, specific weapons against their tethered where Gabriel is using a baseball bat which is America's pastime Um, there is a golf club used which is uh, another symbol of just like recreation and wealth there is that rare stone that is used like it's a mineral on a pedestal that is one of my favorite
0: moments because it did not click until after I'd seen the movie twice that rock beats scissors yeah Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, that (laughs) killed me Uh, and so going through that and then with the 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 film opening saying that there are miles and miles of tunnels underneath uh, american soil that have become defunct and nobody uses for anything i also don't think we needed that i think i think it does play into the fact that uh the american dream is superficial superficial and, and hollow so, like, we can look great on the surface, but underneath is nothing. And that, I I disagree. I, I think that that does carry that mentality through the movie.
0: I think w- without the quote, that effect still conveys. Because we do still have the empty tunnels. We do still have the subterranean story. Right. I think that has made itself clear in showing rather than telling.
1: I can respect that and then it it goes that step further where it's uh the tethered are the teller uh the tethered uh because they look like their counterparts on the surface even though they're empty on the inside but you find out that even though red and adelaide had switched just because she looks like somebody else on the other uh on the surface it doesn't even matter nobody notices that there's anything wrong with her she was able to be be successful have a family they have a a summer home and so the the tethered can exist in society even though they are ultimately empty and i think that
0: was conveyed very strongly through this with her constantly feeling like there is something missing from her life or something always amiss or always something just around the corner
1: do they kill anybody with the scissors ever? Yeah. Who?
0: Um, Kitty and uh, his name in the film. Tim Heidecker. Yeah, but what is his name in the
1: film? He plays Tim Heidecker. <laughs> Does he really? Oh uh, no.
2: <laughs> two girls as well.
1: Yeah, they're they're Josh. kids.
2: But then also uh, like everyone else out on the street, it would appear.
0: Yeah, the daughters tethered, uh, kills. That guy with her
1: scissors. I just like didn't remember. Oh yeah, right. I just I don't. I saw it twice, but the scissors as as a motif just did not stick with me. I don't know why. Um, it wasn't a Part strong. Of the duality a theme.
2: Is it? I I don't. just too too like Jordan pill said in an interview that like the whole theme obviously is duality, and he said that scissors represented duality. All right, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he said about that because he said that Michael Jackson was also the saint of duality and that's why he decided to feature him, feature him so much and that's also, I think, why they're wearing the red jumpsuits and the single gloves.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah.
0: I, ju- I think things like that didn't register as the stronger elements of... The symbolism and set design and scenery throughout oh, yeah, the I film. I not any
2: of that if I hadn't looked up the interview. Like, <laughs> it had to be, it had to be spelled out completely, which kind of sucks, but you know.
0: But um, oh, I do wanna.
1: I'm sorry. Uh, did anybody mention that Hands Across America was also fake and didn't work? No, I don't think we talked about that. Do you want to take that? Uh, I, with my limited knowledge on it, is um that it was uh a, a sort of idea where they would raise money to feed the homeless um by uh having sponsors and everybody would hold hands across uh the united states from coast to coast and from the money that they raised uh a majority of it i think maybe even like 80, 90% of it went to paying off the bills of the foundation itself rather than going to the homeless population. And it was like an, like an actual failure. Like it didn't work. It didn't change anything because we still in this country have a huge uh, issue with homelessness. And that's just like a, another nail in the coffin of like this fake sort of American dream where on the surface, like that's a great idea. We'll raise all this money. But underneath, like, yeah but we're going to take all that money and use it selfishly especially when you consider the publicity and media element of hands across america i i wouldn't know i mean like i that was before our time yeah and so like i i didn't know like when i was looking into us beyond like after watching the movie because i I had heard of hands across america mostly because i saw beer fest and they mentioned it (laughs) and so I I did like a, a bit of a, a deeper dive into it and I was like, Holy shit, this thing sucked.
0: I gathered like the basics of what it was from context clues in us, but it wasn't until I watched it with Anna, who obviously you're in the UK, Hands Across America is not a thing there <laughs> had more questions than I did about the idea of Hands Across America, which prompted her to do a little bit more research and you know, enlighten me in the process of how deep this actually goes uh, in the context of the film and in the grand scheme of America as a whole.
1: So I guess what we're trying to say is, Anna, we're coming over because our country sucks shit.
2: <laughs> oh, no, we have a huge homeless problem at the moment. Like, Anthony, you saw a lot while you were here yeah. homelessness. Like, it's everywhere. <clears throat> you the... walk five minutes out of my house, so there will be at least like, five homeless people on the street. I I will
0: say this, though, both, uh, I guess, a positive and a negative for you guys. Um, The homeless problem is so bad over there that there are signs on public transport and stuff cautioning you against, like, helping the homeless, but in favor of helping shelters and things more so. So there are signs on, like, the tube and stuff that are like, hey, don't give change to anybody who's begging instead give it to this organization which guarantees that your money will go toward food clothing shelter rather than you know when you give somebody on the street money you don't know where it's going if it's going toward food or some kind of you know
1: substance yeah yeah
2: I mean there was only one person that we came across that asked us like we, we got asked for money a lot while Anthony was over here I um, think almost which is every normal, day but there was one one guy that asked for food and that broke my heart because I was like oh my god I I really believe you because you're not just asking for money you're saying if you've got any food and I was like oh my god um and it, it just makes you realize how many people are out there who sadly like it's a thing here it probably is over there as well but like you get these con artists who pretend to be homeless just so they can like pick up change during the day and then that's that's the day of work yeah that bugs me
1: you know my stance on con artists and
2: (laughs) yeah it's people like that that ruin it for people like that who are like i just want food yeah like it's a horrible problem um but yeah i mean our country is quite good at like trying to like have organizations towards stuff like that and as you saw like even in like my town we have places for like kids to get off the street. so they can play like free games and
0: oh i loved that there's a shopping center by anna that has a free um it's like on one side a game center on and on another side a like small movie theater you just go and hang out and watch a movie with like whoever else is around
1: that's great like a boys and girls club yeah played a lot of shows at places like that back when i was in high school (laughs) yikes uh so what were we gonna say before i made us sad with homelessness oh
0: sorry um no yeah, it, i'm sorry it's, it's not any more um light oh, but great. i i did want to talk about the idea of the soul of the tethered because uh we're following adelaide throughout the course of the film and we have this notion that you know there's um something amiss in her life, and um, basically what I'm trying to get at is uh, she's lived a whole life and made these relationships and has things that impact her on an emotional level, on a, a psychological level, so wherein lies the actual difference between the tethered and those on the surface. What makes up the soul? Why are they different at all? I don't think... Also,
2: why did she lose her soul when she got switched? And why did the other one gain one?
0: She didn't. There was no gain or loss. That's why there's the constant feeling of missing something, uh, because the soul is the element that is missing. But the soul is a philosophical idea, so what is the soul? If she's lived this life and had fulfillments in it, what's the difference between her and red and you know hard to keep track of who we're talking about where and when with the switch but um yeah i don't i don't think the soul isn't is as important a factor in this as it was made out to be
2: i think it just shows that both of them kind of don't have a soul. Like, one of their souls is being crushed by being put in that situation, and the other one just... No matter how much, I suppose, material stuff that she got in her life, she still wasn't fulfilled. So there is That's it, yeah. That's the one.
0: That's there, but she still has the ability to empathize and feel and emote, and she feels fully. She cries, she laughs, she feels pain she loves her family exactly like that is her family there is a clear sense of love there and it's not like a hollow idea it's not superficial it's deeper than even you know when you get to meet their counterparts in kitty and josh you see how real she is so what is the soul why does it matter in this situation
1: i think the point is that
0: it doesn't so then it's kind of a moot point throughout the film then, because the Tethered really are no different than us.
1: That's, yeah, that's the whole point of the film. Right. That's why but, she says we're Americans.
2: But It's the fact that they mentioned that they didn't have souls. If they didn't mention that they didn't have souls and they were clones and stuff, like it would make a, a more powerful point of they're exactly the same. They've just not been given the same...
0: Because like, now the soul is just a the
2: device.
1: Well, I think it yeah. goes because we're just taking her at her word. Like we hear that from Red and there's nothing to really back up her statement. It's just her under might even be just like her understanding of her upbringing. And we because we have no way to back that up, we just have to take her at her word. And maybe we're hyper fixating on a point that, like you said, is moot and doesn't yeah. even matter because it might not even be true
0: yeah i guess that's fair i don't know i i just feel like there are some elements thrown in here that can be swept away for a cleaner and more concise way of bringing about their end results
1: i get that i would have liked to have seen this as an hour-long twilight zone episode
0: yeah i i think i agree um how how long is the runtime?
1: In total it's uh just about 2 hours. Okay.
0: I mean I did not mind at all sitting through it for 2 hours and the fact oh, no, that no, I no, sat through it, it for 4 hours. <laughs>
1: it was entertaining the entire time, but there's there's definitely some opportunities to stitch some plot holes and trim a little bit of the fat. Yeah. Cuz like if there is a moot point like we were just discussing, then there's a, a whole chunk of the movie that can just go yeah absolutely
0: (laughs) i will say this though it is entertaining through and through if that's all the film's purpose is is to entertain oh yeah fucking being a superficial commercialized american yeah this is an incredible film to sit down and watch um spend your money kind of beautiful as well
2: like the the way it's shot and stuff i think is absolutely gorgeous
0: I have grown such a deep love for Monkey Paw Productions. Everything that Jordan Peele has put together through them so far has been crisp, clean, nicely detailed. There's a clear sense of what an aesthetic needs to be per film. Like, Get Out and Us are very different from one another, but they're both very clear and strong in the way that their atmosphere presents the world that they're creating and the scoring was very powerful as well i anytime that i can catch a film with a score that really hits hits its plot points you know you're in good hands then
1: and like not that i was listening to it uh a lot (laughs) previously but i got five on it got a lot creepier over the last (laughs) couple months um Vinny and I have been playing a lot just like around the house uh, while cooking and stuff and it's just, it's so eerie now. <laughs> and from an
0: acting and directorial stance, this film is, is damn near incomparable.
1: Oh yeah, I can't believe I didn't talk about that at all. The, oh, like the act for of... everyone
0: to be yeah. playing themselves and their nemesis, their counterpart, it just holy it... shit.
2: It was totally like believable, the distinction between the two characters. You just completely forgot that they were played by the same person for a minute.
1: Yeah, to the point that I genuinely forgot just now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like It's very easy to get lost in the story because there's at no point where you're guessing whether or not you're watching a surface dweller or a tethered there's a clear-cut difference in how the actors have portrayed both elements of themselves there's a clear-cut difference in the time and effort that the the makeup and wardrobe team put into making this a very clear distinction but performance-wise it is carried through so strongly through everyone there's no one who i have a complaint with in how they portrayed their role even for his brief screen time tim heidecker who plays tim heidecker me me tim heidecker oh my god me
1: me tim heidecker
0: there's a beautiful and hysterical moment with tim heidecker's character and his tethered character and that will live with me forever when he
1: fakes them out and (laughs) then does the, the the hair swoosh oh my god i forgot about that that's very good it's the epitome of comedic timing Uh, And
0: from a directorial standpoint, uh, this is just something that I had figured out behind the scenes is, I think, Anna, you and I were talking about this, Jordan Peele gave each of the cast members a separate set of horror movies to watch to inform their acting choices as they're uh, tethered. Great.
2: I love that so much. And it made us like... Well, the, yeah, I've been trying to look, and I can't find them, but, like, it's really fun trying to, like, look at each character and guess which films, because I think I said that I thought Reds was probably, like, Jigsaw or something, like, maybe they watched the Saw movies, and, like, um, uh, what were the other ones that we came up with? We came up with a few for, like, oh, and I thought that, um, what's her husband's name?
0: Uh, Abraham, or Abraham, Abraham or Gabriel.
1: Or Gabriel. Abraham is the tethered, Gabriel Oh right,
2: okay. those two anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I thought that might have been like Leatherface. Yeah. It's kind of like the sort of like yeah, like primitive caveman type, like I don't really know what I'm doing or why I'm doing this, but like I'm gonna kill you because it's what I'm supposed to do. Like I feel like that's really leatherface. Yeah,
0: it's a very do as you're told, family comes first element. I'd love um, to
1: hear like other people's take on this because this is like the first I'm hearing about this. It it was I gotta it blew do, my mind to hear that. I gotta do some like deep dive, do some digging and and really think about this.
2: Yeah, I almost don't want to find the list of what he gave them because I just think it's a really fun game to play, like guessing what they're in get, get me that list
0: and put it in my inbox. <laughs> I would go in a third time and watch just for the sake of pinpointing performance aspects of like what was on your list who were you supposed to be why don't we just buy a blu-ray and we'll all
1: watch it there so we don't have to keep spending money Uh, i keep falling into the (laughs) trap of what the film is about i keep looking and refreshing (laughs) this page about how much money it made and it's making me physically this
2: is why he made so much money though he created a film that everyone's like i've got to see it again because i think i missed something or i need to watch it again because of this and stuff like i think he purposely kept people guessing so they wanted more
0: That is what I love about horror. A good horror film keeps you guessing, keeps you lingering, sticks with you for days on end and creeps you out because of its subtlety. And I think Us hits every one of those marks.
1: Yeah, beautifully constructed. i can't i can't praise it enough like uh, like we always do just dragging it down for you know 40 minutes and then we're like but we loved it
0: i think that's important though because like credit where credit is due for all of the good but i will point out where film is lacking that's what we're here for that's why we have the cryptcast. it's to inform
2: i just uh, wanted to have whether fun you like talking it with it not, whether you like it or not it doesn't make it a good or bad film like there is constantly people that I find, especially on Instagram, because I interact with a lot of people on there, like a lot of people say, Oh, this film was really bad. And I'm like, what made it bad? And like, I don't like it. And I'm like, that doesn't make it a bad film. That exactly. makes your opinion that you didn't like it, that that doesn't make it a bad film. Just like there's yeah. loads of films I don't like that are great films, I just don't like them.
1: Martyrs Inside. Oh, chappy i don't i don't like it i I appreciate it and i like it chappy (laughs) can be a great film and that's fine i just don't like it but that doesn't make it not a great film as long as we agree that it's a great film
2: and i think whatever anyone's opinion about us is it's a good film and that can't be denied whether you like it or not
0: so. I think that's an important element to both part one and part two of this episode because I think we're going to have less lashback on us. I think the general consensus is that most people seem to like it, but a lot of people are flaming Pet Cemetery And at the end of the day, Pet Cemetery, like it or not, was a good film.
2: Yeah, but I, these are the same people I, that said that Mandy was a good film, so, so that's that. a we topic gotta, for another. We got to do
1: that. We I do that.
0: am boys. so ready for that. Did
1: you say lashback?
0: yeah is that backlash (laughs) oh my god uh i do have another important point that i want to cover with us um about uh about one character in particular um i'm blanking on her name though one of the
1: twins no or the the daughter oh oh uh oh god Zora?
0: Yes. Uh, So, on the note of us, Zora, the daughter, is the best final girl that we have had in a long time. She exhibits every element of what a final girl should be. She is proactive. She's independent. She's a badass. She makes some very bold moves that defy the horror movie genre throughout us. And I have so much respect for her.
1: Yeah, she... Kills one of the twins, almost kills the other one. And I thought, with the way that you were wrapping this up, I thought I was going to be mad about the point you were making. No, but I, I'm so glad you brought that up. I, I'm never like on the look for final girls, but anytime you come to me and you're like, "Yo, here are the final girls that have been going on lately," I'm, I'm always loving that conversation.
0: Because like we don't get a lot of good ones. It's another area where horror falls short. We do get a lot of two dimensional. Uh, heroines throughout horror but that makes the the ones that do portray what a final girl should be that much stronger you know i think the the defiance of genre is a very important thing uh, when it comes to making a smart protagonist and i think with zora who is probably about 16 years old um she is with her family. She is under the authority of her parents throughout so much of the film. But when push comes to shove, and both of her parents are incapacitated, basically uh, the mother's handcuffed, the father has a broken leg, she takes charge.
2: I she think leads, the leads her brother into. It's actually the most terrifying too.
0: Yes, because oh, she yeah. is because fast she, and not inhumanly fast. She is just believably fast enough. To kill you without you even expecting it, yeah, she just and, like, never like just writing. has a
2: smile on her face the whole time it she seemed like the least human out of the counterparts. It was just like, nope, I'm full on evil, I don't care who you are, that you look like me, I'm going to kill you, whereas the others were a bit like they seemed to try and connect slightly, even though they wanted to kill their counterparts they they still felt quite human, whereas she didn't feel human at all it was just like i'm gonna run after you but i'm also gonna give you like a little bit of a like what's it called? head start head start yeah. yeah i'm gonna give you a bit of a head start because i'm that confident i'm going to kill you
0: so that being said, I, I mean, I think that's we've covered everything in regards to us and where we stand on it. And
1: there's always going to be moment. more that we can touch on. I don't think we're ever going to hit everything.
0: Yeah. But I mean, for now, I think we covered our bases pretty evenly. Um, I do want to talk about Jordan Peele moving forward and Twilight Zone, which just came out in is three episodes deep now. Yep. Um, As I think all three of us were diehard Twilight Zone fans, right? Oh, yeah. So I think with all three of us being diehard Twilight Zone fans, um, it's very nice to see a Twilight Zone reboot that is accurate and refreshing and knows exactly what it is, to the extent that there are homages to original series episodes throughout the newer episodes. Um, Most specifically... And just because, you know, uh, we as a podcast find any reason to bring Adam Scott into things. The second episode of the new Twilight Zone series, Nightmare at 30,000 Feet, is a fresh new take on the original Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, where they're both completely relevant to fears of air travel based on the times that they came out. Uh, Nightmare Twenty Thousand Feet is a little bit more fantastical, focusing on a gremlin on the wing of
1: the plane, which is the scariest possible scenario in the sixties. But also
2: kind of adorable. Hey, it it aired
1: on my birthday. Oh, October eleventh, nineteen
2: sixty-three. Yep, that's your birthday.
0: (laughs) But um, in what was it, World War Two? Gremlins were uh, a name for enemy planes.
1: I. I don't know. So oh, I, yeah, yeah, I think
0: World War Two gremlins were a name for enemy planes. Um, our
1: our enemy, right? Yeah. Or just like our United States enemy. Okay. Planes. Well, I didn't know if like the Axis powers were also referring like, to us as the we, gremlins. Or also are the gremlins. Okay. Um, but
0: you'll see in a lot of fifties uh, and sixties, um, mm-hmm. in a lot of fifties and sixties media. References to gremlins, and they usually make personified gremlin characters like Nightmare at 20,000 Feet does. Um, There are a lot of cartoons that have gremlin characters in them. Um, Looney Tunes is very big on that. And the gremlin was just a personification of the idea of still dealing with layover enemies of World War II. So to have the gremlin on the wing of the plane is a great concept for the original twilight zone series. And now we have nightmare at 30,000 feet where there is a podcast that is foretelling what's going to happen to the flight that Adam Scott is on. And it ultimately leads to spoiler. uh, Adam Scott is the, the true enemy of this episode. He leads to the loss of this flight and everything that the podcast is foretelling And I think that is an important idea of how influenced we are by what the media is telling us, what the media tells us the dangers of travel are, um, and how these kind of unsolved mysteries are so gripping and controlling right now and are the biggest media sources, which is why we get like serial killer documentaries. And
1: true crime is so
0: hot right now. Yeah. So to have this true crime, which is really when you think about it the minority of everyday occurrences but it's the majority in media so it's the thing that we hear about the most and the thing that we um kind of empathize with more because we want to know more we are constantly looking to be the ones to uncover the truth so i think nightmare at 30,000 feet is a is an excellent parallel to an original twilight zone episode and um there's a nice little homage at the end where the gremlin from the wing of the plane <laughs> at nightmare 20,000 feet washes up on shore as like a little doll.
2: Yeah. He's done a good job of like showing homage to the original episodes so far, even in just the two that we've watched. I've um, just putting even like little props in there that like tie back to the originals. Um, but even like his narration is just perfection like you couldn't ask for someone else to be that narrator in twilight zone a remake better than what jordan peele's doing it or how jordan peele's doing it
1: i i did really enjoy that it's just taking a little bit extra effort on my end to remove him from the key and peel because i've seen him doing pseudo serious pieces where he'll be talking directly to the camera like these uh ending narrations and so, like, I'm sure, like, once I get a couple episodes in, I'll be able to separate that entirely. I, I didn't even like watch Key and Peel that regularly, but I'm just like, hey, it's the funny man. Which is, I, I know at my core is not how I feel, but there's always that little bit in the back of my head that has trouble making that distinction. But I, he, he's doing an excellent, excellent job.
0: I do like that you specifically mentioned Jordan Peel as the funny man because. I've always felt like there is a very strong connect between comedy and horror in that idea that they need to convey some element of truth in order to convey their desired effect. Yes, Comedy coming from a place of truth, you laugh at yourself, you laugh at very real circumstances or believable circumstances, horror. You're terrified of the reality of the situation. It doesn't matter how supernatural the enemy is or how you know, the director and writer have chosen to personify this villainy, there's some truth behind it. And as long as there's that truth behind it, there is that fear element. It's why Us hits as strongly as it does. So I think for Jordan Peele coming from an element of being a comedian to writing socio-political horror, they're hand in hand the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's like the logical next step.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mm -hmm. so do you guys want to move into your fear of the day and recommendations?
1: Why don't we move into our recommendations and your fear of the day? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, I was going along the lines of... I I watched this movie twice in the last, I don't know, maybe month or so. Just because I caught the tail end of it, and uh, then I wanted to watch it from start to finish again. Uh, But I watched Train to Busan. Uh, I think it's currently on Netflix. Um, but it is a South Korean zombie horror film, and I, it's the first movie that I've seen in a long time to do zombies well, and I I thoroughly respect that, so if you haven't checked it out, I I don't know how many people watch, you know, uh, foreign horror films, but this is one of my favorites as of late, and I, I can't get enough of, like, a good zombie film, so Train to Busan, check it out.
2: Uh, okay, so my recommendation is a very old school one, which many people will know already, but um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, mm. um, which kind of is the same sort of concept as Us. Um, it's got these pod people who look exactly the same as you know they, their counterparts, um, but they just have no emotion no humanity um and it it kind of it has a lot of social commentary because it's based around the cold war and the anxieties that were going on at the time um but just in a very over-the-top sci-fi fashion of social commentary so yeah if you haven't seen that definitely watch that
1: love it can't get enough that ending fucking destroys me still to this day haunting
0: For my recommendation of the day, I am going to go with As Above, So Below. Um, I
1: also just watched
0: I So it's got its shortcomings, for sure. Is it because I mentioned
1: found footage the other day?
0: Maybe. (laughs) Uh, But I do genuinely enjoy As Above, So Below. Uh, It's a subterranean horror, uh, which I don't think there's enough of. And it focuses on using that element of being a subterranean horror film for exploring beneath the surface of people. So do you guys want your fear of the day? Yes, please. And now the last one. All right. Your fear of the day is stenophobia.
1: Anna, why don't you go ahead and take this one? The
2: fear of scissors.
1: No. Ah. The fear of writing utensils no like a steno notepad (laughs) (laughs) or
0: a stenographer
1: i get that oh yeah that also
0: um no do you guys want to venture another guess um is it is that the same
1: steno i don't think so stenophobia i mean it's s-t-e-n-o phobia yeah but i'm I'm off yeah Uh, i was like oh scissors is like something you get on a desk I give up.
2: Um, what else is relevant during the film? Um Fear of twins?
1: No. Is it the fear of secretly being replaced? No. Are you looking it up now? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we did get it. No, no. no. Okay. <laughs>
0: So, stenophobia is
2: the fear of narrow places. Oh. So,
0: I know this episode we had a lot to say. This is our first two-parter, so thank you guys for tuning in to the Huntsville Cryptcast's first double-feature drive-in. I'm hoping we get to do more of these to keep up to date with current films. I know we talk a lot about the importance of films of the past, but I think it's just as important to stay relevant and keep talking about where horror is going so thank you guys for tuning in this has been the hauntsville cryptcast i'm
1: anthony i'm doza i'm anna happy hauntings see you in hell